What is up, people? And thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I'm your host, EJ Stewart. We got a really good show lined up for you guys today. Of course, we had the unfortunate injury to Tua Tungo Bailoa over the weekend. The quarterback for Alabama is done for the year. We'll talk about whether or not he should have been out there and whether Nick Saban or anyone else deserves any blame for what happened this weekend. Also, there's been a lot of conversation about Colin Kaepernick's workout. Um, it was quite the circus. If there was ever a question about whether or not Kaepernick would bring a circus with him um, when he first when he got back into the NFL lexicon, he certainly brought it with him this past weekend. So we'll we'll talk about uh, everything we heard from out of out of out of Atlanta this weekend. Um, tight MVP race in the NFL. We'll break that down. We got a big suspension in college basketball that we'll, we talked about a little bit last week. That's been finalized now. So we'll. Uh, give you guys our thoughts on that, and we'll get some hoops, some NBA hoops, rather. Um, so it should be a good show. Excited to get to it. Joining me is my co-host, Kendall Stewart. Kendall, uh, we look forward to talking about today, and you want to give us a little preview of what we can maybe hear in Kendall's court. Yeah, so, I mean, we have a lot of interesting topics. Obviously, you mentioned, uh, you know, college basketball will be jumping back into the James Wiseman situation. Obviously, that's close to home for me, um, but... You know, we finally got a resolution on that, so we'll we'll discuss our take and how I feel about how the NCAA has handled that situation. Um, and in Kendall's court, we will be we will also be talking about um, a situation that's close to home for me. Uh, we'll be talking about a Philadelphia 76er or these Philadelphia 76ers in general, but also a particular one and why his particular struggles could deem could spell doom for the uh, Sixers uh, finals hopes. All right, fascinating stuff. So we'll get to that at the end of the show. So make sure you guys stay stay tuned for that. But let's begin talking about, again, the injury to two of Tonga Vailoa. He is officially done for the year after suffering a hip dislocation and fracture. Um, they were playing against, I believe, Mississippi State this past weekend. They were up yeah. mightily in this game. I believe scores score was 35-7. Um, uh, with less than two minutes left in the game. And two had already went into the game with various injuries. Um, but instead of taking Tua out or simply running the ball to protect him, Nick Saban had decided that he wanted to get Tua work with running the two-minute drill. So hence, he had Tua dropping back uh, despite the big lead. And in one of those plays, he scrambled uh, out of the pocket. He was uh, brought down by two Mississippi State players and landed awkwardly on his hip and had that subsequent injury. And there's been a lot of conversation since then about whether or not Saban did the right thing by putting two out there and running two-minute drill. If you've seen my Twitter feed, I've been very uh, very strong about how I feel about this, but I want to give Kendall the first crack first. At, uh, what did you think about what happened to two? And do you think that uh, Saban or anyone else deserves blame for what happened? Yes, the Tua situation obviously is unfortunate. Uh, for college football, for football in general, because obviously he's a guy that, I mean, I thought I would have, before that injury, before the ankle injuries, I thought it was a surefire number one pick. Um, Joe Burrows looked excellent at LSU, and he's pretty much uh, probably uh, planted his flag as the number one pick in the draft come April or May, whenever the draft is nowadays. I believe it's in April. But, um, like, so obviously you look at uh, this injury and you say, you know, he's a guy that I, I had as my number one quarterback for the longest time and probably still coming into this uh, game against Mississippi State, even after the loss to LSU. But 
Um, so it's unfortunate for his long-term future, for the immediate aftermath or the immediate future of Alabama um, and their playoff hopes. But in terms of the, the injury uh, and the moment and who do we blame, and we, that's, always, that's always the game we have to play in sports is the blame game. You know, when something bad happens, we always find who do we, who's the scapegoat, who do we have to blame, why did this happen. I don't necessarily like blaming anybody when injuries happen. Because injuries can happen, I mean, unless somebody, you know, intentionally hurts somebody, then there's obviously blame, you know. Um, like Miles Garrett, which is a whole other situation, you know, if he would have intentionally blamed, or if he would have intentionally hurt Mason Rudolph, maybe uh, we played the blame game there. And But uh, with Nick Saban... Yeah, that that would have been very, quite fair. <laughs> right, exactly. With with Miles with, with Miles uh or not Miles with Nick Saban and Tua he, Tua obviously Saban didn't intentionally mean for uh Tua to get hurt he didn't think Tua would get hurt a hip injury you know he got hurt on a routine play that could happen at any point in the game so I understand like I don't blame Saban for Tua's injury uh Tua was questionable coming into the game to uh after all the injuries he had against LSU and guy limping off the field in that game. Uh, and as somebody that, you know, is around, has been around football players, like they may, they like, they, they may limp, they, they'll limp around in normal, uh, environment, you know, and then they'll get on the field and they'll play and then you'll see them on the side or you'll see them after the game or anywhere else. And they're, they can be limping potentially. But, um, so Tua clearly had an injury. They felt he could play through it um, against a Mississippi State team that obviously they could have won without him. But um, he was out there. He was playing. Uh, would I Would I have – if they made the determination we're going to go to Mac Jones for the rest of this game, Tua, you're going to sit down. Tua coming to Nick Saban and saying, no, I want to run this two-minute drill, I just feel like that's if – you're, if you're Nick Saban, you have to realize you've already – you're already lucky that Tua hasn't gotten hurt already. Like you've already won the lottery that he's he's come out of this half healthy that you I wouldn't I like I wouldn't continue to play with fire and play this kid and so look I don't know you know I know understanding college sports you know the idea of load management seems foolish uh, especially in college football where style points matter and things of that nature but like for his best interest. And honestly, as we see now, the best interest of the of the team in the school, it would have been best to really manage his minutes and his load. Uh, but I, I don't necessarily blame Nick Saban or anybody. It's just an unfortunate situation uh, that happened to Tua. Um, it's a freak accident, just like when Bo Jackson got hurt. You know, neither injury, neither neither hit was was vicious or malicious. Like it was a really much. It was pretty much a routine tackle, and. He just landed awkwardly, and so yeah, obviously you feel for Tua, and you just hope that this is this isn't a career altering type of play. I'll tell you what, I, I do. I think I disagree with that. One of the last parts you said there about how load management seems ridiculous in college sports. Um, I actually totally disagree with that. I think that in certain instances, it actually makes a lot of sense. It's kind of going to go into why. Well, to be fair, I don't think they're load management. I don't think their load manager is ridiculous, but like the perception is that it sounds ridiculous. Okay, it would be ridiculous to a coach, right? And I and I, I would mean, argue, I think that they should have used load manager, right? Now that okay, and then thank you for clarifying that. Now I would argue for those. If you who, go to a college coach, 
Yeah, if you go to a college coach, you go to Nick Saban and say, what do you think of load management? He would, he would laugh in your face. Yeah, he may literally kick you out of the press room if you guys sat at a press conference. Um, what, the reason why I bring that up, though, and thank you for clarifying that, but for those who would have that perception, it, it leads into my point about why I, I don't, like, if I was listening who the number one, who was the number one, who's the number one to blame for Tua's current situation, honestly, to me, it's the NCAA. Um Saban is number two, and Saban deserves some blame. But like, I, 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 I totally understand and get the idea that this whole situation is messed up, and Saban. It, it's unfortunate that it happened the way it did. Now, I think, and maybe my, my, maybe my, my, my perception is just jaded by just all the stuff we've seen from the NCAA. And the more we've learned about the hypocrisy that sits in the NCAA, we'll talk a lot about that a little bit later in the show. To me. When you understand that this kid is a no no doubt easy first round NFL pick, probably a top ten, top five NFL draft pick, and he's out there playing with an injury, and your team is up twenty eight points, you're playing against a team that can't compete with you guys, and you know Tua is playing in this game with his low extremities and his body compromised, his ability to protect himself is compromised. What you as a head coach, you have to take all those things in consideration when deciding whether or not two-minute drill for a guy who's won a national championship, who literally has led game-tying drives in the national championship game, if that is worth the potential risk. And Saban understands the game is very violent and the game is very risky. And I think that if you told him, and I know this sounds crazy, but if you tell him before that drive— Hey, with Tua's injury, his inability to hurt himself, that means that he's going to leave himself way more open to taking potential hits uh, with a guy who has low extremity issues. Knowing that, do you think it's smart for a guy who has 50 to $60 million coming to him to put him out there on the field right now? No way is he putting him out there if you put it under those circumstances. I don't think, to me, me presenting it in that way is outrageous or... Um, unfair. I think that Saban has a responsibility to protect his players. And when you consider the players on your team that have this big future ahead of them, especially with football, where, uh, you know, while quarterbacks do tend to have a long longevity in the NFL, it's not guaranteed. And for a lot of players, the longevity in the sport is pretty much non-existent. A lot of guys have very short careers. You have to take that in consideration. And to me, this was a guy, if the, honestly, if this was Burrow, I actually may feel a little differently. Because I may say, okay, well, I, all that other stuff still counts in terms of him having a lot of money coming to him. He's a top pick. But you could almost sell me on, well, we don't have a lot of experience with Burrow in tight games, two-minute situations. We, don't, we haven't had that chance, so I would like to see him do that if I'm the head coach. I would disagree with the decision, but I can almost understand it a little bit. I think of all the players to use that as a reason for putting him out there, Tua may be the one, the worst example. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Can you think I'm crazy on that? Like, to me, if you're going to talk about running two-minute drill, he's the guy, he's the last guy I think would have an issue with that. He's ran two-minute drill in the biggest stages that there are in college football. He's played in national championship games. He's played in SC championship games. He's seen everything there is to see. If anything, the guys that need two-minute drill are the other players on the team. But you could do that with anybody. You could have put, uh, you could have put Mac Jones out there. He could have ran two minute drill with those guys. Tua doesn't need that, considering again, he is compromised out there on the field. 
if and 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 all injuries are aren't the same. Like let's say Tua had a I don't know something that wouldn't slow him down or, or leave him unable to protect himself. A different oh, kind of throwing hand injury. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like his left hand is hurt. Like okay, or his left thumb is hurt. Or something like that. Or his right, even his right thumb is hurt. I can almost say okay, well he can get out the way. He can get. He can. He can protect himself still. When you're talking about ankle and and, and other issues with your lower extremities, he can't protect himself as much. Yeah. So that you that's why Alabama, that's why that's, it's, it's more of a, of a of a problem for me. If you watch the LSU game, which a lot of people did, obviously, he clearly was not himself from Absolutely. a mobility perspective. He Absolutely. hasn't been himself from a mobility perspective arguably all year. So, like, it's not a, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to to know that, like, like you said, he's way more susceptible to getting hit than the average player, especially a player that has normally relied on his feet to begin with. He's exactly. not a pocket passer, so he's a small guy. So you can't really see over the line the same way a normal 6'5", 6'6", Trevor Lawrence type of quarterback could. And he's a quarterback that is known for using his feet to get outside the pocket or maybe get extra yards. He can't do that as well. But his instinctually, football is an instincts game in a lot of aspects, instinctually still plays that same style. But And a lot of the time, because of his height, has to play that style. But like you said, he's compromised in his lower extremities, so he's not going to be as explosive. And Mississippi State may not be LSU, but they still have, you know, four them boys. Them boys still on scholarship. <laughs> yeah, them boys are still on scholarship. So they will get out. Exactly. You know, they, and they, they may be down 35-7, but the tape is still the tape. Exactly. <laughs> you know, the scouts are watching and exactly. things of that nature. And so, like, yeah, it, it was – and Nick Saban has been around the game for centuries. He is – he should know better than anybody that – this was not worth it. Exactly. Because That's look my where point. they are now. Do I think do I think that they will survive without Tua? Potentially. I don't know what they're I, I don't know exactly what the ramifications will be, but do I think that if Nick Saban could have that back, of course he would he would absolutely he probably wouldn't even play Tua in that game if you tell him he gets hurt. Let alone the two minute drill, let alone you know, like I mean it's And to me like Kendall, I it's I unfortunate. Um, and Kendall, I know there are a lot of people who have come out, you know, who have made strong statements about how, you know, it's unfair to blame Saban. Like, my thing is, like, I think that it's, I think, you know, I think me and you kind of are more on the same page leaning towards Saban deserving some blame while also understanding that it was a freak accident. Like, I think you, it's okay to say, hey, Saban probably played this wrong. Understanding that, yes, hindsight is twenty twenty, and he doesn't have the wherewithal of hindsight. But sometimes hindsight illuminates things that you should have thought of. <laughs> like sometimes I think the idea that people, uh, you know, say, oh, well, you didn't know that beforehand. It's like, yeah, but may, like now that we do know this, that should educate your that, – that has to educate you in some degree in terms of your decision-making, uh, in terms of evaluating a decision. And I think it's okay to, to, to acknowledge that Saban didn't mean for him to get hurt. And I don't think – I don't even know if he was – I don't know if reckless is the word I would even use for him. I, I just I just think that what was the best possible situation, the best possible call there, I don't see how putting a seasoned Heisman candidate, top three pick type quarterback who's played in national championship games, who has won, who's taken as a freshman a team on a late drive to tie a, a football game in two-minute drill. I don't see how putting that guy out there who has compromised and can't protect himself how that was the best possible decision. And I don't know anyone that would argue that. Two things. 
like, look, if we're if we're getting on, and I wasn't necessarily the one doing this, but there are people that are going out there and, and getting on, you know, the Warriors and Steve Kerr for playing Kevin Durant in an NBA Finals game. Exactly. So, like, <laughs> you know, why would like why wouldn't Nick Saban catch the same flag for playing an injured player in a meaningless blowout game against Mississippi State? And Kendall, some of the issue people had with the Durant thing was, oh, well, you guys knew he was a free agent. He was going to leave anyways. Y'all were just trying to get the every yeah. every everything out of him. Saban knows this guy's leaving too, and he and, he, and this guy's getting no money right now. <laughs> so like, how could right. you? How could this people who have, who are protecting Saban make? I agree, make that case about. Durant, well, at least Durant was a paid employee. He was making millions right, of dollars. At least Durant is is, made, is you know going to be will probably eventually be a billionaire. Right. He, he had some he had some obligation he had some obligation to actually play. I mean, he is an employee for the Warriors. We all agree he shouldn't have been out there. But like, it's crazy to me that people that there are people who could defend Saban today and kill the Warriors and kill Durant. And I, I mean, clear. I on. I killed the Warriors and Kerr and all and 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 the front office Bob Myers and them for that. You could listen to the tape from our podcast to find that. I'm consistent. It, it, it that doesn't make sense. I don't know how you can go back and forth on that. So I agree now, with you on that. Really, my, last last my thing other, on this. My other thing is that my other thing is that look, this is this is not something I've seen brought up with this. But I I I also have to look at this and say, look, is this uh, another reason why we should think about expanding the playoff because if this was an 18 playoff and it seems like a minor thing but if this was an 18 playoff does Nick Saban feel like he has to mm. push two like that like again mm, style points point. matter and each game is is your last game all this type of mentality in college football like you're putting these guys at risk in a game that he doesn't need to play because we need every point and we can't lose this game. Or if we win this game by only 14 points, the committee might look at us and say, we're a weak team and this, that, and the other thing. If they were an 18 playoff, Alabama would be very comfortably in regardless of that loss to LSU. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. know, That's a very good perspective. That's hypothetical, but it's, it's something to, something to consider. No, it is. It's, it's a it's a definitely a different perspective, and I agree. I think that that absolutely could have reshaped uh, his thinking on 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 putting them out there if that was the case, and they weren't fighting for their playoff lives the way they are at the moment. And my last thing on this kind of is, I know you said that we don't know what Alabama's future is. Um, I agree to a certain extent because uh, just because of the, the idea of where we are, and um, there's a lot of teams that still have to play, but I, I think they're done. I mean, I think that unless See, I disagree. No, I think I think to me, unless we have like a lot of chaos to me, and a lot of chaos would mean like Penn State has a second loss, um, Oregon and Utah, well, play Oregon, State. Oregon and Utah lose, which means that they very well could. But then you got to add Oregon and Utah lose, Oklahoma loses again. To me, that would that's the only scenario where I see them making it. I don't see to me. I don't think a team with Mac Jones, uh, with no quality wins, deserves to be in the playoff. That's my opinion. Not if those other teams handle business and win their conferences. So, look, Penn State. If they lose to Ohio State, is out. Yes, 
Um, Oregon and Utah, one of those teams will is going to be out because they're going to play each other. Um, and I'm not convinced, similar to my similar to Minnesota, I'm not convinced those teams are going to run the table. Still got two more games, but um, like I still think if Alabama wins, and then look, Alabama playing Western Carolina this week is a complete joke. Yeah, it's come a on, disgrace. This is and, ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, there should be a rule against like. You can't play an FCS opponent past like week three, like yeah. You play an FCS opponent in week in week ten, week eleven, wherever we're at is that's that, a, like, a bye. That's a bye week. Yeah, you should be embarrassed. But um, so like if they don't get in, like that's on them because they easily could have been playing, you know, Wake Forest instead of Western Carolina. And I feel like all right, at least you can get another win on the resume. But um, but they still have the game out. Uh, Auburn, you know, I think. You know, Georgia's going to notch another loss, probably. Uh, if Georgia beats LSU, obviously, then it's they're... Night. Yeah, it's good night. Yeah. Um, I would say that. But, I, I look, once... And I said this before when we talked about the playoff, but, like, once the push, once push comes to shove and the committee is looking at Alabama with or without Tua, if they look great with Mac Jones at quarterback... If they push come to shove, it's Alabama or Oklahoma. They, I mean, they could put Oklahoma, who struggled mightily against Baylor and struggled obviously against Kansas State. And I mean, we'll see if they can run the table the rest of the way, or are they just going to say, "Look, I'm just going to go with the Nick Saban team that's looked dominant the last three weeks and barely lost to LSU." I I give you a bold prediction. I don't know. I give you a bold prediction. They won't beat Auburn. Wow. Wow. Or Auburn will upset. Uh, opposite Alabama at home. You heard it here first. And, you know, it is a bold prediction, but I don't know if it's that crazy. Auburn, Auburn has not looked bad in any of their losses. Their offense hasn't played great in them, but they haven't been embarrassed, and they've, all, they've lost to very quality teams. Florida, LSU, and Georgia. The LSU and Georgia game, the LSU and Florida and, uh, and Georgia games where they lost within a touchdown. So, this is a team that can compete on the highest of high levels. They just haven't found a way to win. They have a true freshman quarterback, but they will beat Alabama. I'm gonna put that. I'm gonna put that uh, down right now. Who knows? And I could be wrong. This could be another Cardio Jones situation. But I, I, I don't. And my thing is, even if they do beat Auburn, um, I just don't see the quality wins for Alabama to where I could put them ahead of some of these other teams if they win their conferences. Because to me. The argument you have for Alabama for was Tua is a elite talent and Tua is one of the best players in the country and Alabama is just flat out better than those other teams and I would agree with that. But the quarterback means so much and I don't Mac Jones could just be just a to me he is just a guy. I don't see a superstar and it might not matter, but to me now your team is not as good and now I'm judging you based on teams that have 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 done all they can do in terms of winning their conferences. They should not be penalized. Because Alabama has a name, um, but I do want to move on, Kendall, and uh, and quickly talk about the Colin Kaepernick situation from this past weekend. So, uh, Cap had his workout. It was not anywhere any in any way the way it was supposed to go down. Um, so, Kaepernick uh, was set to work out at the Falcons facility in an NFL type environment, and before the workout, it was, for lack of a better term, postponed by an hour. And the location was changed because Kaepernick could not agree to terms that the NFL had put in place with the workout. So there were issues over the waiver they gave him, which 
um, in, in the eyes of his attorneys would have uh, basically um, taken away any rights Kaepernick could have had to pursue legal um, action against the NFL if they continue to keep him out of a job. The waiver uh, uh, that the NFL gave out you know, basically said that this is not a guarantee of employment. This is a, a tryout. And that was not enough for Kaepernick's lawyers. His lawyers to contend that this lawyer is not the standard waiver that most NFL free agents would get. NFL disputes that, and we've kind of gone. It's kind of been a back and forth about that. But there's also been questions about the fact that he didn't have, they didn't know who he was throwing to, um, and the NFL being just overall really rigid about the process. They wouldn't let the media or any cameras inside. Kaepernick was very adamant about making sure the media was there, so that the NFL couldn't create a narrative that was untrue based on what happened. That ended up moving the, uh, the work out to a different location. So instead of all 32 teams sending representative, it only ended up being, I believe, eight or nine teams that were there uh, at a different location in Georgia where Kaepernick threw 50 passes. And by almost any uh, logical or unbiased uh, um, objective eyes, looked great. I mean, his, he, his arm looked strong. The one executive said he looked like he had an elite arm still. He was accurate. He made almost all the throws. And um, he showed that he definitely has the physical tools to play. Afterwards, he basically issued a challenge to the NFL to stop running away from him. He said, Roger Goodell and the NFL owner, stop being scared. Stop running away from me. Stop running away from the truth and stop running away from the people. And uh, this whole situation has really, um, there's been a, a string of different takes on both sides. Some people have made the case that Kaepernick, uh, proved that I shadowed that that he should be in the NFL, and that he's right. He was in it within his rights to um, make sure the NFL could not control the narrative. There have been some people who have said that Kaepernick basically forfeited uh, his rights to play in the NFL by uh, being so um, abrasive in his uh, in his in his you know openly challenging them and his way of uh, of you know changing the venue of the workout and having these demands quote unquote. And, uh, and even some people have pointed to the fact that he wore a Kunta Kinte shirt uh, prior to his workout as a reason why he disqualified himself from really being a serious contender to return to the NFL. So, Kendall, I want to quickly get your thoughts on what you make of the Kaepernick uh, situation from this past weekend. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a bizarre situation. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, the, look, the whole thing about the, the waiver, uh, is it shady? Probably, but um, it, it, the whole deal has been kind of shady. It's been kind of weird. Uh, I don't say it, I don't say shady, but I'll say it's been unusual. Um, so, like, you know, obviously, like the language about you know, there's no guarantee that you'll get a job or whatever. You know, it's not something that you put. I don't think that that's in every like like they've mentioned. Obviously, in every waiver out there or whatever, but same time you know i don't think every team in the league i don't think teams in the league are normally afraid that a guy they're going to come in and work out is going to sue them if they, you know if they don't bring him in so they, right. i think they have to they they had that you know they put in that caveat because they they know that that's that there's potential for that to, to happen um do i think that this was a play by the nfl like this was all a work just to try and get him to sign a waiver that'll protect him from a lawsuit I don't know. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I, I mean, there are reasons to believe that that could have been the case. I don't know. 
But um, what I will say is that, look, um, do I, you know, Kaepernick, I'm sure looked good. Uh, I wasn't there. I didn't watch it, but you know, you didn't see any clips cl- out there. You didn't see, see any clips online. I mean, yeah, I saw I saw the clips. I, I don't know what to make of you know. I, I don't know what to make of them. You know, I mean, someone else would be would know better than I would. <laughs> you know, which I feel uh, like is interesting considering <laughs> your position. Um, well, yeah, outside like, of new generation, I feel like you right, actually right, be the right. person that would be great to talk right. about workouts and things like that. Um. <laughs> Normally, I see NFL coaches, you know, throwing to <laughs> throwing throwing to, to to people working out. So it's a little. Uh, he looks better than those guys. I can tell you that. You know, <laughs> but um, does he? You know, he looks better than you know a linebackers coach trying to trying to throw. But um, yeah, no. Nah, uh, I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure he looked good. I don't know what the standard is for a backup quarterback or whether or not you know. I mean, I'm, I'm sure he's good. At, I, I'm confident Colin Kaepernick is good enough to be a backup quarterback in the NFL. I don't think that he's established anything that we didn't already know. A lot of it is still just the the relationship aspect of it. And will a team take the risk? I think I still I still contend that with this Kaepernick situation, it, it's very very clear to me that look, the 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 the. And we've seen even with the the people that were lined up outside of the Falcons practice facility before the game or before the workout was initially supposed to start at three o'clock. All the talk about there's all these Kaepernick haters out there. They're out there, but they're not the same way they used to be. There there was a small group of people out there anti-Kaepernick, way more people pro-Kaepernick. If that if this workout took place, you know, at the heat of the Kaepernick conversation, it would have been mayhem. It would have been way more anti-Kaepernick plus more pro-Kaepernick. But I don't think people care as much necessarily. I think people have moved on. There are bigger problems in the country for a lot of people than Colin Kaepernick. So I think you can bring him in and it wouldn't be – it would still be a circus, but I don't think it would be the circus that people think. Um, but I just the issues come with the, the, the fractured relationship between the, the two sides. But I, I go back to – I am uncomfortable with – the fact that the NFL is even I don't like leagues I don't like when the NBA steps in and does their own thing and I don't like when they, I don't like the NFL feeling like they have to proctor these Colin Kaepernick workouts. These should be team things, but the teams don't want to do it. So Yeah, uh, I mean it's a it's strange. I don't know. So so I think the one thing I did learn this weekend is there is no financial or um team based reason or talent-based reason for Kaepernick to not have a job that was to me very much confirmed during this workout because as you said um the support this dude had on on the ground on social media and uh through those two venues was wildly over so wildly way more support than again than uh than opposition again there was like three people opposing this dude during this workout um, and then there were, you know, dozens and dozens of people, at least, uh, who were there in support of him. The amount of people who were tuned in, ready to support him online, way, way, way more than the people who were voicing any kind of opinion about him um, offline. And what that means is, I thought to say that he doesn't have the detractors. He 100% does. But the intensity of the support and the intensity of the detractions, detraction, so to speak, 
or the opposition is important. You could have a lot of opposition, but they're not inspired. It doesn't matter. It's, I hate to bring politics in, as I said, because I don't. this is not a politics show. But it is like politics in the idea that um, it, even if your base of support is small, if it's intense and it's uh, very much involved, that can help grow your support and that can help ch- you know, uh, create the narrative. For Kaepernick, to me, and now I would say in 2016, his opposition was very strong and very intense. That's not the case in 2020 or 2019. His base of support is still pretty strong. We saw that this weekend. The opposition, they, they're apathetic. I'm sure there are a lot of people who don't like him, but they're not enough to really make a stand in any kind of way. So if you're an NFL team, it's just ridiculous to me and stupid to think that you're not going to make a lot of money or that from a talent standpoint, based on what we saw in the field, that he couldn't help you. You're going to make a lot of money. This, whoever signs him, you're going to make a ton of money on, on, on him being on your roster. And and he's going to make your team better for a lot of these teams to have sorry, sorry behind quarterbacks uh, on their teams. So now if you're upset about him not really wanting to conform to authority with him being uh, more of a circus, that's that perhaps was also confirmed. And maybe that's something that I could I would concede. But there is no concession in does he have the talent to play? and Can he help a roster 1000 percent is uh, for most fan bases? Would he have a lot of support and would he rack in? A lot of dough. That was confirmed this weekend. So the only reason for him not to be in the NFL to me is just he doesn't want to conform to the NFL's rules. And uh, on the NFL, not even the rules, because what the NFL was doing was outside the rules. This whole workout was outside of norms. So it wasn't like he was conforming to their rules. It's just he's not in line. You know, he's not he's not he's not going to play ball in line. Right, exactly. Like, yeah. there's idea, like, and that's what people have been saying, that there's idea that based on where he's been, he should just be lucky to have anything, which is stupid because, he, again, he just sued the NFL because he was being withheld from employment. You don't go in and say, oh, I'm thankful for you giving me employment. No, you go in with, this is what I've earned. He's earned it with what he's done throughout his entire career. Uh, like, this idea that it's some privilege to play in the NFL, that's not true. I'm sorry. That's that that is not true. Your talent, uh, your talent is, is is determines whether or not you get a spot in the NFL. It's not some over privilege or something of oh well, you know, I was just really nice to the coaches and they put me on the team. Talent is at the end of the day what determines this. So the yeah, notion he should be thankful or that he's just he's, hey, that's ridiculous. No, he 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 has earned a spot in the NFL over the course of his entire career playing. And in, in in the workout, he earned he should have earned a spot to play in the NFL based on what we saw. So any reason that he's not in the NFL has nothing to do with football. And it, I would say it's ridiculous because now I, I think that even the, the point of be, part about being scared, I think Kaepernick, his words I thought were apropos, that the NFL is scared of this man. Um, they're scared of what he represents. He's, they're scared of not just to me what he represents in regards to um, people that dislike him. I think that there is also fear for what having a guy like Colin Kaepernick in a locker room, um, uh, what that means. And, and having him uh, mentoring other young players and having them the way a guy like a guy like him, the way he thinks, how that could be impression, how he could be uh, very influential on impressionable young minds in the NFL that people always have to compare is kind of very much 
militarized. It's like it's kind of like the military in that it's very much you conform to certain rules and everyone's on one same page. Kaepernick goes by the beat of his own drum and nobody wants that in their locker room. And that's why he's not have a job today. Real quickly, Kendall, a lot of talk. There was a big, big uh, performance from uh, Lamar Jackson this past weekend. And the Texans blew out the, the um, excuse me, the Ravens blew out the Texans in what was supposed to be a marquee matchup. You had uh, Lamar Jackson, one of the top uh, uh, MVP candidates this year up against Deshaun Watson, another MVP candidate. And he, uh, obviously, they don't play against each other. The Ravens dominated Deshaun Watson. But Lamar Jackson certainly dominated the, uh, the Texans. Um, a four-touchdown performance. Um, and, and really, it, the MVP race has quickly uh, come down to really two people. There are some people pushing Brady, but I, I don't know if really he's in this conversation with the play not only we've, that we've seen from Lamar Jackson, but the, also the play we've seen from Russell Wilson. So I'm going to leave it to you, Kendall. Of those two guys, unless you do think that someone else like Russell Wilson, even Dak Prescott, should be in the conversation, who do you think right now is the MVP? Uh, right now, I would give it to Lamar Jackson. Um, you know, the Ravens are right now the best team in football uh, by most people's standards. So, um, you know, I think it makes sense. I mean, he's been electric. Uh, he's, I mean, both guys have been great. So I, it's not to take away from Russell Wilson in any any capacity. But, uh, it, and it's tough because, you know, a lot of times the media, like, who I think will win it or would win it if the voting would say I think it would be Lamar Jackson because, you know, that's where the media narrative is gone. Whether or not he's the most deserving. I mean, look, Russell Wilson's in that conversation as well very much. But, um, yeah, it's, I mean, look. But then also you have to look at Russell Wilson's in a tougher NFC. So, um, I don't know, it goes both ways. But I, I would probably lean Lamar Jackson right now because of, I think, how – I, I just think how dependent that team is on him offensively uh, and how dynamic he's on, you know, the dual threat quarterback. I find this conversation very fascinating because I, 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 for one, you know, I know there's that age old conversation of is the MVP, the best player or the most valuable to your team. I always, I think one, I think it's a combination of both, but I do lean more towards it is about your value to your team and what your team would be if you weren't, out there because I think there are a lot of players who are fantastic who may not always play the best um and I think that's another thing is that who's playing the best as well is a third kind of piece of that puzzle as well um but a lot of times the best player isn't always playing the best or the best player may be on a team that's really stacked and I think that that has to be taken into consideration when talking about an MVP these are two interesting guys I think both players are playing on teams that aren't that stacked I think both teams would be like kind of middle of the pack at best, um, maybe in the Seahawks case, if you know they didn't have the quarterbacks that they particularly have on their team. So that's why this debate is so fascinating to me because I think they're kind of similar in that regard in terms of who's most valuable and both of them uh, having very, very uh, great value to their, uh, to their individual team. What are you going to say, Kendall? Oh, I think you're going to say Oh, something. no. Uh, sorry, I think you're going to say um, So... But if I had to pick one, I think I'm going to lean Lamar Jackson. And it's it's still close. I don't think that is a done deal by any stretch. But the only reason why I lean Lamar Jackson is because as great as Russell Wilson is, when you think about the Ravens, the Ravens literally had to change their entire playbook in order to 
be successful offensively. It started last season. But, like, how they were playing offensive football was no longer going to be um, competitive in the NFL with a standard quarterback uh, who's middle of the pack to lower end of the pack and, you know, kind of just a decent set of weapons but no one special. That wasn't going to get it done. And the Ravens had to put in Lamar. They had to completely revamp their entire offense and their entire team. And their offense still today remains uh, arguably the most unique offense in the NFL. Um, and it, the only person that could run this offense with this team is Lamar Jackson. And I don't think that even if you put another good quarterback on this team that they would be as good because I don't think the the uh, the parts around him are that great. So even if you put a really good quarterback in there, um, and, and yes, they have some decent players, but you're, you're not throwing to a plethora of, of of big targets and, and superstar type players, Lamar really does make a lot of these guys better and kind of makes their whole offense work. Russell Wilson is a great quarterback. He's had a tremendous season. He's a future Hall of Famer. But the the Seattle Seahawks offense isn't... You could put in another really good quarterback and the offense would still run the same. And depending on how great that quarterback is, they still would be really good. If the Seahawks had Patrick Mahomes, they would still be really good. I'll be honest, I don't know if the Ravens had Patrick Mahomes if they'd be good. Because their team is so structured. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is an extreme example. He's a great player. I don't but I, like my thing is I think I can make the case I, that the here's what I'll say. I think I can make the case that the Seahawks could be eight and two or nine and two, whatever they are right now with Mahomes. I don't know I don't I really don't know if the Ravens would be eight and two eight and two with with Mahomes. Because the rest of the team the team isn't built well around that kind of offense. Pat Mahomes is so good that I won't I I won't say that about him, but Tom Brady even. But Tom, Tom Brady, so you would not make that case for Tom Brady either. Tom Brady, I would even feel more comfortable that there's no way if Tom Brady was on the Ravens they'd be into. Not a chance. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I like Tom Brady. If you want to make that case because he is such a pocket, like he's so different than Lamar Jackson. But like Pat Mahomes is special, and he's not as athletic as Lamar Jackson, obviously, but like. He, I mean, I think he's probably the most talented quarterback in the league right now. Him and Rodgers. And that's so a, like, and that's a fair point. But to me, I, I get your, I get what you're saying. But like, you, you know, know what I'm saying? Top quarterback, like, top five quarterback. Yeah, even if you take away Mahomes, you could put a lot of other top tier quarterbacks. And I don't think that if you bathe them, Jackson, they would be a top tier team. I think that they would all be. They could be good. I'm not saying they'd be a bad team. But the, the only way this Ravens team works is with a player like Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is literally like a once in a generation type player. We have the last player we've seen like this is Michael Vick and that was a different generation of football. So it's a it's a it's splitting hairs cuz I do think think that Russell Wilson's been tremendous, but I would I would slightly lean towards Lamar Jackson. Now, this is uh changing the subject slightly, but uh we be I feel like we be remiss in not giving our quick takes on uh Miles Garrett's suspension. Um he got what do you get? He got twelve. He got, he's, in, he's indefinite, so it's going to be sixteen at, games. Right? It's going to be at least. Well, no, it's at least the rest. It's the rest, of, it's the rest of the season and postseason, and there will probably be more games afterwards. And it's kind of unclear how, how, how worse that will be. Right. I, I don't know. Mason Mason Rudolph, he got fined, I believe. Ogan Joby got a game. I don't know. I don't remember what Marquise Pouncey got, but he got three. He got three. See, I, I just feel like 
it's tough for me to to to, to say that Mason Rudolph doesn't get suspended for that situation if Garrett's gonna get as many games as he got. I understand Garrett made the the the, the crazy helmet swing that warrants warrants a suspension, warrants multiple games, arguably the the rest of the season. Um, but Mason Rudolph, he had to get something. I you disagree. Know, like, and honestly, with the way he played in that game, I think the the punishment is probably keeping him keeping him on the field. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> but um, but I don't know. I just feel like if you instigate a situation like that, like just like Ben Wallace gets suspended for the mouse in the palace, like you're not gonna get you're not gonna get suspended like Ron Artest. But you, I mean, you started the thing. Like, so here's the thing. You gotta so, get you gotta get something. So. One, there's an appeal happening, so by the time you guys hear the show, it, he, it may be reduced or it may be installed. Uh, it, may re, uh, it may be, you know, applied. He, he may stand. Um, yeah, so, yeah. so, so yeah, exactly. Affirmed is where I look for. So we don't know what's going to happen. Um, I know there, first of all, Garrett, I have no problem with him being suspended for the rest of the season and plus. That was just absurd, <laughs> swinging a helmet at a guy um, without a helmet on. I, you know, and, like, to me, like, that, that like, that that to me there's an intent there that is so criminal almost that yeah i think whatever suspension you get i'm kind of just gonna rock with it so i'm fine with what he got I, i'll tell you what i don't agree with the mason rudolph thing um i don't think because miles garrett acted like a maniac and escalated it to a level that was way beyond the bounds of what happened that means that mason rudolph should be punished for that like to me like right. Like, and that's, I think, what the argument is people making is that, oh, well, he started the fight. But the fight itself would have never warranted a suspension. What warranted the suspension right, right, was right. the escalation. Like, right. they, to me, like, I don't, like, I, like to me, like, if you think like about Like, Miles Garrett escalated, so, like... Right. So, like, to me, it, like, when I, know, like palace, like, when I think about the mouse in the palace... Like, when I think about the mouse in the palace, like, I know Ben Wallace got a considerable suspension. I'd argue he shouldn't have been suspended that much. Like, it's not his fault Ron Artest ran into the stands. Like, like that shouldn't be a, that shouldn't be now imposed on his punishment. You know what I'm saying? Like they were fighting, and what the results of the fight prior to Garrett swinging the helmet would not have warranted a suspension under any circumstances, not even close. And no one would argue that. So how, because Garrett swung a helmet, that means that Rudolph should get suspended? Unless Rudolph had said something that was so absurd um, that 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 then led to that kind of thing. Or, you know, did some crazy cheap shot that led to that kind of thing, that would be different. But there was nothing preceding that that would have, and, uh, but if that situation would have ended with just a little skirmish and they broke up and everybody moved on. But where was Rudolph's intent? Because I feel like Rudolph's intent was, I mean, I mean, obviously he didn't see anybody with a helmet, but like. No, Rudolph was could, trying to take his helmet off. He was trying to revolve Gary. And, and it was grabbing, at the very least, grabbing his face mask. I don't know, like, it's hard to, to me, like, I don't, like, as someone who I only played one year of football, and I have been in those skirmishes where you're kind of grabbing each other's face masks, like in like the ground. I don't know if you're trying to take the helmet off or if you're just kind of fighting the guy. Regardless, he was grabbing the guy's face mask, clearly. And I'm not saying that he didn't do anything wrong. I totally think that, that in, in a normal situation, again, without Garrett escalating it, that would have been a substantial fine. And I think everyone would have been okay with that. The only reason why this becomes a conversation about Rudolph is... Because Garrett swung the freaking helmet and smashed him, and smashed him over the head with it, I, and I'm not 
I'm not a Mason Rudolph fan under any circumstances. I'm not a Steeler fan under any circumstances. Uh, so for that to be clear, I, I have no stake in the game whatsoever. I just don't think to me it makes sense that because Garrett escalated the situation to a level that did not warrant it, I don't think that Rudolph should have been suspended because, well, we gave this guy a lot of games. So then the guy who started it has to get it. That doesn't make any sense. Right. Garrett Garrett's reaction didn't warrant – like Garrett's action was unwarranted. Not unwarranted completely, but it wasn't warranted well, was, to that level. Rudolph being a punk? It, it, of it's course like he was. It's like guy that's being like a – it's like some guys being like, you know, who's being overly, you know, overly heavy handed or aggressive with road rage. And you say, you know what? I'm going to run this guy over <laughs> with a car. You know what I mean? Like, like Gary, like Rudolph. But under being, that, no, I'm sorry. Being, under, under those circumstances, I'm telling and the and, and someone who works in local news, they would not charge the other dude. If the other dude was just like being like a oh, jerk. Oh no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like obviously, yeah, like. Like if the guy ran him over, the, <laughs> that's what they charged the guy <laughs> for the hit and run. They ain't charged the guy who was like yelling at him and banging on his window. <laughs> right, exactly. So I, I, I so I, I don't know. I mean, I'm glad you brought it up because it, it's, it's a crazy situation. conversation. Um, but yeah, it's a crazy situation. I would, I would, I just feel like Rudolph. Like it's tough for me. Like. I don't know. You're right. Yeah, you're probably right. But <laughs> it's hey, that's a guy be the first time on this show. Kendall saying, "I am right." <laughs> Just leave Wait, it I probably man, it's rare. But, like, like, and look, like, I, I, I get the, I get the action of Mason Rudolph. Then my, being, my question is: Is Garrett's suspension heavy-handed? No, I have no issue with his suspension. Like, because it's just it's, it's so wild. it's so absurd. The idea that, to me, like, again, I almost would feel differently if Mason Rudolph was wearing a helmet. It's like those guys that punch a guy with a helmet on. Like, you know that's not going to do anything. <laughs> like, right, like, right. like it, it does matter to me that this guy, he took his helmet off, one. So you know he doesn't have a helmet on. And knowing that he doesn't have a helmet on, and you being being restrained by two other guys, your only shot at doing anything to him was to literally swing at his head. That's the only thing he could have done. And, he, like... There's no like idea of like oh like I was lost up he in the heat of the moment and did something I didn't mean to do like there's no doubt about it like it's so blatant <laughs> like I, I I and to me like and what I also don't like is to me if Basin Rudolph would have gotten severe concussion we wouldn't even be talking about whether or not he should be suspended for a year or something that's the thing too a lot of times it's oh well the result ended in this therefore we we know the suspension needs to be harsh it's like no like what is the reasonable what is the reasonable um conclusion of what could have happened yeah, had, case based on his action and people are saying he could have died and that's true but let, let's take that off the off the off the off the page here because that's unlikely though possible a, a, a serious concussion is definitely possible i don't know i mean to me mason rule should have been put in the concussion protocol immediately after that i mean you know how heavy a, i mean you know kendall how heavy a, a helmet is yeah like yeah. a, a guy like Miles Garrett, two hundred and eighty pounds, rock solid diesel, swinging as hard as he can at somebody's head, that's gonna do damage. So yeah. So to me, I think the only reason why the conversation about Garrett's suspension and it being too heavy handed is coming up is just because Rudolph wasn't seriously hurt, and that's not because what uh, what Garrett did couldn't have seriously hurt him. That was absolutely true. Um, but I, I am glad you, you brought up that. I, I was kind of, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go into it because of the nature of his appeal. But it is a crazy situation from past week. And it actually happened while we were taping last week. So that's why if you listen to our show last week, we didn't talk about it. Because it, it literally happened towards the end of our show. It happened around when Melo got signed. Um, 
So, uh, so it was like either that or mellow. I saw, you know, you mentioned mellow last week, and I was like, well, this Gareth thing was crazy, but I think we're gonna have to just leave it there. Um, but uh, but let's quickly, Kendall, talk about this Wiseman thing. So he's been suspended for twelve games. If you guys don't know, it stems from this issue he had with Penny Hardaway being seen as a booster when he uh, uh, loaned him eleven hundred eleven thousand dollars, him and his family, to move from uh, Nashville to Memphis. Uh, uh, Wiseman initially issued a lawsuit. He's now he brought that lawsuit back, and has now uh, been uh, issued a twelve game suspension. As part of this penalty, Kendall Wiseman is being ordered to pay eleven thousand dollars in charity to get back on the court. Kendall, this is the most. This may be the most ridiculous thing I've heard the NCAA do, and now, that now bar, Kendall, is 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 as high as Mount Mount Everest. Now, what I will say is, people are a lot, a lot of people are talking about this. This eleven thousand five hundred that the NCA normally that's not that's not like a new thing. Like they typically, when somebody takes money, they say, "All right, we'll suspend you, and then you got to repay it." Like you like uh, Chase Young repaid it. So like, it's not new, but like I think in today's day and age, people are more like, and this is such a high profile case, people are now realizing how ridiculous that concept is. That a college player who doesn't get paid is being is being fined. I think I think the issue that makes this one more egregious is like the idea that he took the money because he didn't have money. He didn't have the money to and, move. And, it wasn't and, like he was taking and, money. And, to, and, 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 yeah, and I want an extra benefit. And like, how the hell is he supposed to? Get, and how is he supposed to get the money now? Like it doesn't same way he got it the first right. Time. It doesn't like none of it adds <laughs> up into the how this is supposed to work. And the idea that like and I said this, I texted this to you and I tweeted this. It's it's to me an embarrassment that we have college head coaches making six figures who are on FBI wiretap talking about paying players and they haven't had to pay jack to the NCAA. They haven't had to pay no charity. Them guys are coaching now. They coaching today and right. they're on. Federal wiretaps. They're linked in, they're named in criminal indictments. And they're coaching college basketball. The NCAA didn't ask for a dime from them. But a kid who clearly needed the money to move is being asked to give the NCAA money that he can't go out and get. He can't, like, solicit the money. Where is he supposed to get it? It's, right. It is put it on GoFundMe. You know, it's completely absurd. (laughs) Kendall, this thing is, is ridiculous. First of all, Penny Hardaway should be the one paying the money. Absolutely, like, that guy's a millionaire. Like, if you're gonna punish anybody, punish punish him. You know, don't punish Wiseman and his family. Because again, like you said, they obviously don't don't have it lying around. Um, and if they do, you're gonna investigate them for that. How, well, how do you pay for this fine? You know, so <laughs> um, it's it. Well, the one thing I, I figured out. You know, I know we don't talk politics, but it's clear Mark Emery. Uh, he must be uh he must be a Yang he must be a member of the Yang gang because where does he think Wiseman is getting this this, this twelve thousand dollars he get it from you know the yeah, universal yeah, income yeah he must he must yeah, yeah he must have watched the uh, Democrat debate and it's like oh Yang's giving he everybody money so debates. saying look 20, 2020, you know Wiseman's gonna get this money from Andrew Yang <laughs> and then that's how he'll pay because. You can't just assume these guys just have money lying around like that. So that's bizarre, and that's I don't know. That's a whole nother, you know, issue with the NCAA. But look, the 
the the the punishment is unfortunate from a college basketball fan perspective because you know we're not going to see Wiseman play against Tennessee in Knoxville. We're not going to nope. see Wiseman play against Georgia nope. on CBS and Anthony Edwards. Um, NC State on Thanksgiving, you know, Ole Miss. Like, there's plenty of matchups that would have been good, you know, for scouting, for, you know, just as a college basketball fan. Um, but that, that's on them. You know, I'm sure the networks aren't happy about that. But uh, what's interesting about this is that Pat Forty seems to think that because Wiseman played in those three games uh, while he was ineligible, technically ineligible, um, not only are they going to suspend him for those three games, they suspended him an extra three games because he played in those three games, but uh, they are also now – essentially he said that the NCAA is, is getting ready to hammer Memphis with, with penalties for playing him, playing him in those games, or they're going to do an investigation, and now they've left themselves open to, to, to punishment. Which for me sounds crazy, considering the punishment should be the fact that he's suspended. And you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna suspend him an extra three games for playing those three games, then that should be it. It shouldn't be extra punishment for uh, the team. So I don't know, but um, yeah, it's unfortunate. It is an unfortunate situation. Uh, hopefully, we'll get to see Wiseman on the court soon. Um... And this won't end up being some kind of I think Memphis situation. In in the long run, you know, I don't. I don't know. I mean, that's that's because they don't. They they play in a in a decent conference, but it's not a conference where like like I mean, he's got to come in and hit the ground running. Because if Memphis stumbles in in non conference, uh, I don't want to say they're going to be you know in serious trouble, but it, it could pose some problems. I don't know. I'm not as Confident that Memphis will be okay with the Wiseman uh, on on the men like he is right now, or at least rather. See, I think not, you not know, I, wa- I watched the game against Oregon, and I lean more that we obviously Memphis lost to Oregon. I think I lean that I think Oregon's really good, um, and they were playing without their five star center in Folly Dante, who's also ineligible, and he'll he'll be back in December. But um, I, I think Oregon's gonna be really good. I could be wrong. I don't know who's getting college basketball because it's, still it's November. Yeah. And everyone's lost <laughs> the team losing games left and right. But um but I, I feel like I think Memphis I still am I don't say confident, but I'm comfortable that they're they're a top fifteen team. But like you said, without Wiseman, I mean that dude I mean, we didn't look good in exhibition games without him. So and we're not looking good. We're playing right now against Arkansas Little Rock. It's a tight game. So <laughs> you could be right. Um, real quickly, Kendall, the Lakers, uh, they've been dominant this season, 12-2. and two. LeBron uh, notched another triple-double against the Thunder, meaning that he now has a triple-double against all of the teams in the NBA. Uh, Kendall, do you buy in this Laker team with, with what you've seen so far? Uh, yeah, the Lakers, they're, see, I, I feel like the Lakers are similar to the Celtics in that they're playing great basketball. And it can't be ignored, but I don't really think that their record means too much. Like it means they're a good team, you know. I don't, I, that can't be dismissed, of course. But I don't think that we should look at the Lakers and Celtics at the top of the East and West, and the Lakers particularly at the top of the West, and say that means they're automatically the best team in the NBA or the second best team in the NBA or the best team in the West. Um, it seems like routinely they're they're beating teams that they should beat, and they beat the team that they should beat. Um, but I and LeBron and AD have played great, but 
I still have the same fear that, look, Kuzma hasn't played spectacular since he's come back. If one of those two dudes got hurt, they would be in serious trouble. Um, and how long can these guys play like this before they get hurt? You know, these are all the same questions I've had, and they haven't had that one moment or that one game where I say, wow, these guys will be tough to beat in, in, in April or May. Mm. I, you know, and that's – I haven't had that moment with the Celtics either. The Celtics look really good. You know, they beat Milwaukee at home, but I, they, we, they still also haven't, haven't had that, that moment where I'm like, man, this team's going to be tough. Um, they play the Clippers tonight while we record this, so maybe that'll be the time, but um, – I still am more worried about the Clippers. You know, Paul George looking incredible. Oh, he looks fantastic. You know, and, and coming off, you know, shoulder surgery. And, you know, Kawhi Leonard, obviously, in his 50-50 low management, you know, schedule, still dropping buckets. Oh, yeah. I mean, he looks he looks, uh, he looks fantastic. And Kawhi coming back, hopefully, from the knee, knee, the knee rest, whatever you want to call it, whatever he went through. Um, the Clippers are a threat. Uh, I disagree. I think the Lakers are, are for real. Um, now, I do think that we don't know if health will be a factor, and I think that that is an issue. Um, but LeBron, to me, looks as comfortable on the court as I've seen him look in a long time. It just, to me, like, it's crazy to me to see what, essentially, to me, play off LeBron in November. But that's kind of what I feel like I'm watching every night. Um, and he's not necessarily like scoring the ball like the way we've seen, but just his overall control of the game and just the idea that I just feel like he's on the when he's out there like the rest of the you know the other team has just no chance. They have no chance guarding, no chance um, um, stopping this Laker offense, and he just seems to be in complete control. I think that having the the extra time this summer with not having played deep into June as he's had the last eight or nine years certainly helped him. And, um, and I do think this Laker team is, is going to be uh, one of the top teams in the West. Now, are they the best team in the West? Right now, I would say they are. But I think that they're going to still have to answer to the Clippers and the Rockets at some point this season. And those teams will pose threats. But I, I, I'm not going to be the one to, to say that I have these grave doubts about the Lakers because of their schedule. Um, all these teams are kind of working through all different kinds of schedules and uh, different kinds of rust and for the Lakers to come and hit the ground running this uh impressively while they're still trying to get their uh chemistry right to me the unless they have an issue with um unless they have an issue with with uh uh you know injuries uh they they can only get they really should be only getting better because you would think that with more time together they'll be more comfortable playing with each other so I, I i buy the Lakers um Kendall I think that Luka Doncic will be one of the, I think he would not one of. I think he'll be the best player in the NBA within the next five years, um, and it's based on how I've seen him play this season. He had a forty point triple double, youngest guy to do that since LeBron James, and he's a he's a dominant player. And I can't say that I didn't think he'd be great. I think we both thought he'd be great. You were certainly higher on him than me, but we both thought he'd be a star. I don't know if I thought he'd be this dominant at twenty years old. It's He's having just he's, that's <laughs> I incredible. I think anybody that tells you that they think that he, that, he, that they thought he would be this good, and I I I you know specify this good this early. Yeah, this early I think is the key. You know those those who were this good this early are lying. Yeah, you know like I don't think anybody now there were people that thought he'd be 
incredible MVP level, mm-hmm. you know, like, but nobody, I don't think there's anybody that thought he'd be this good. So I just had to. And do you, do you I mean, do you think that that's a crazy statement for me to make? I mean, I, I to me, it's not, no, I, don't, I, was, I don't think it's debatable. Like to me, the, to me, the only guy that I think about and I'm watching the NBA that I say, okay, I can see this guy in five years being better than him. There's two. Giannis, because maybe he's still in his prime. He's still that dominant. And maybe he gets a jump shot at that point. And the other guy is Zion. Zion, right. Yeah. Like, to me, those are the only guys I could, I could conceivably see be, being better than Luka within the next five years. I mean, at the five-year point. If Luka's not the best player in the NBA, I'd be shocked. Like, his, his, you know his poor handling. His, right, right. And nobody's also said that about Kevin Durant. Like yeah. his ball handling, his shoot, his shooting now. I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous. Like it's crazy to think that he was kind of a, a like an above average three point shooter, and now it's like he's automatic. I mean, he's and shooting like this. Look, like you have no chance against him. He's if and he's so watch, strong for his size too. Like I think that's one of the most underrated. You know, one of his most underrated attributes is like he just bullies guys around the basket. He has a he may not be the most like chiseled guy, but he has great lower body strength and he's just a beast. He's gotten much faster. I mean, he's, I mean, look, I don't think I've ever been, you know, more on the money with, like, a player's, like, development, like, as I'm watching it happen and saying, like, you know, like, I, I mean, I look at it. I thought he'd be great. I didn't, the stats-wise, I mean, I didn't think he'd be averaging, you know, 28 and, well, 28, 10 and 10, whatever he's averaging. But, like, last year, I was like, look, you know, this kid, I think, you know, don't be surprised if he's, if he's an all-star or is in that conversation to be an all-star. Uh, I, you know, I said that in one of our YouTube videos. And he didn't he didn't make it, but he was very, very close. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, he won rookie of the year, not much of a surprise. But coming into this year, I, I had to throw out an, as a bold prediction in one of our videos, don't be surprised this kid's a top five MVP candidate this year. You did. It sounded crazy at the time, but... And again, I don't know what I I don't know what that meant to me back then in terms of stats or anything, but this is essentially what I envisioned. Mm. That yes, he like the Mavericks would be vastly improved. They'd be a competent basketball team with not much talent on the roster, but he would look so incredible that it'd be hard to keep him out of the conversation. Statistically, he's sur- surpassed anything I would have expected. Um, if you would have asked me coming into the draft when he got drafted. Yeah, he's going to be an MVP candidate in the second year. I'd be like, wow. And that, <laughs> yeah, that, would... that, and that Dallas team is not this, like, big-time, talented team. That's what I'm saying. That's why I thought that he would be in the conversation. Yeah. Because MVP, we talked about Lamar Jackson. A lot of it is about if your team is not good and you're carrying them, like, you're going to get extra bonuses for that. And because that Dallas team is so bad in terms of roster talent, if they are a 50-win team— it's going to be because Luka Doncic is carrying, so that's where that was, that's where my mind was. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that video, I talked about look, his jump shot. Apparently, he's gotten much better. He's gotten much faster, much quicker, and all those things have have, have come true. And yep. he's looked incredible. Um, I don't. He's not going to win MVP. I don't think. And maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm. Maybe the first time I'm selling him a little short. Maybe he yep. does win it. I don't know. But I don't think he'll win MVP. Uh, you know, I think again he's a surefire all star, and I was very confident about that in our video. But um, again, I, I mean, I think he's a top ten player in the league, and it's 
you know that that's it sound that that's again something that if we were to say before the year would have been hotly debated and would have sounded very premature and very very uh very much projection but i mean how can you i don't know the numbers he's putting up and consistently against anybody dominating these guys is i don't know if it's just the inflation the stat inflation that we've seen this year but i mean he's been he's been phenomenal let's get kendall's court what we got yeah so for kendall's court you know we talked about luka donch has been phenomenal uh let's talk about another young player who it's funny because the debate that has been thrown out there the player i'm going to bring up this was a debate last year that sixers fans and mavericks fans and basketball fans in general seem to have was Ben Simmons or Luka Doncic and Sixers fans would swear to you that if you said Luka Doncic you were crazy because he doesn't he doesn't defend like Ben and you know defense is that much more valuable and Ben is better at this and he's better at that if you ask anybody right now who'd you rather have Luka Doncic or Ben Simmons you'd sound crazy if you said Ben Simmons. Yes, you would. <laughs> the guy can't shoot. And that's what I said back then. I was like, the guy can't shoot. Bro. Hey, he made his first three today against the Knicks. So, All right, all right. So he can't shoot. Happy day. <laughs> well, we have two elite shooters, Ben Simmons <laughs> and Lou But, um, so yeah. Obviously, you mentioned it right there. He hit his first three finally against the Knicks. Of course, it would come against the New York Knicks. A whole nother conversation. But um, uh, Ben Simmons has struggled mightily this season uh, from three. Uh, well, I can't say he struggled. He hasn't taken any. Yeah, uh, he's actually one for one. So he's actually been great from three. But hey, you uh, missed one hundred percent of the shots you don't take, Michael Scott. Yeah, exactly. His volume's been low. Uh, he's he's only taken one, or I guess now two shots outside the paint all year. Uh, one one before prior to this game against the Knicks, um, which his his numbers from in terms of jump shots uh, outside the paint, he shot one hundred and nine his rookie year. Only 77 last year and won uh, 11 games into the season. So the numbers is a, is a stark regression in terms of his confidence in the jump shot and his volume of jump shots. Uh, you know, Embiid was asked about it. He essentially, I don't have the quote in front of me, but this is literally almost uh, not verbatim, but uh, paraphrase. He was, look, you know, we love Ben. You know, we love, you know, he plays great. We, we definitely need him to shoot. To win games, but at the same time, he got to play the way he needs to play. But we definitely need him to shoot. So, you know, Embiid, for lack of a better term, is saying, "Look, the guy, we we're gonna need this guy to take jump shots for us to win games." Um, the Sixers team is they haven't played well. You know, they've lost. Uh, I want to say it was like five out of seven, if I'm not mistaken. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but at least they're eight and five. Um, he is a they they they're a team that now Tobias Harris hasn't shot well, Al Horford hasn't shot well, uh, and B's played up and down. But you know, you ask Sixers fans, they'll tell you, look, he's still kind of huffing and puffing out there. So, <laughs> what condition is he in? You know, Josh Richardson's played well, and you know, Matisse Thybulle's played well. Defensively, they are still they are a juggernaut. But Simmons's numbers are down in terms of playmaking. Is it because JJ Redick isn't there? Probably is because Tobias Harris and Horford aren't shooting well. But the question is, for me is just where is the basketball fit with Ben Simmons and Embiid? And it's a question we've had for two, three years. But at what point do the Sixers panic? I don't, I don't know that point's here yet, Kendall. But I do think that we you know it's something that I mentioned uh, for the season that that worried me about this team was 
they're just they they went backwards in time. Like this team that they're putting out there would have been a, a, a formidable team that made sense in two thousand eight. Uh, you know, they would look great against the Lakers in a seven game series with the NBA championship against the Kobe Bryant Lakers. Uh, in 2019, it just seems weird to have a team that's so big and, and and lacking the kind of foot speed when the league is playing so much faster, especially when the Sixers, part of their strength was that they played so fast. It, you know, it was, it was kind of odd. I know they haven't beat, but the other part of their strength was that Simmons switched the ball up so quickly. And, and he was able to kind of just... How are you going to do that when you got Al Horford and right, Beatles? Now you have Al Horford out there, too. Um I don't know. It's kind of a weird team. But now the thing about them was they improved so much defensively, as you said, and they are a defensive juggernaut. They're a very good defensive team. And it was like, okay, well, can they, will that kind of win the day in the end? So far it hasn't, but it's a long season. I'm not going to say it's panic time yet, but I I do find it interesting that this team made the decisions they made to just get super big and just say, hey, we need a team that could, be, that could guard Giannis. And Giannis is the only thing we should care about. Uh, the Celtics have, have made it clear, no, we're, they're not the only team you need to care about. Gene Butler has made it clear, nope, you're going to have to worry about me now in Miami. There are other teams they're going to have to deal deal with in the Eastern Conference that isn't just Giannis and isn't just the Bucks. And I don't know if they're best equipped to face those teams as talented as they are. Now, do you – what? where does this end with Miami? I'm not – with Philly, like long-term – I think there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a trade on this roster. I don't know what it is, but there's a trade that's happening this season. I'll but make with that. Ben Simmons in particular, can, um, he, can, can does this end? Does this story end with Simmons and Embiid together in Philly in the next couple of years? I, I think so because I still believe that this team, the talent will play itself out and they'll make the adjustment needed to figure the rest of it out. So I'm gonna say yes. Wouldn't this team be so much better if they had a playmaking point guard that also could defend? Oh, and hit shots. I mean, they have a you playmaking know, like, point guard who can defend, and they just, he just can't hit shots. That's the issue. Right. Exactly. Like, and that's not really asking that much. There are a lot of point guards out there that can play, make, defend, and hit shots. <laughs> but Simmons is one but of them. But who are you trading for Simmons in this fantasy basketball that we're playing? Like, who's that that's guy you're question. talking about? You know what? What's the value? You know where where is the value at? For some people throughout, could you get Damian Lillard in Philly? Mm-hmm. And would that make? Um, I, one one trade that I envisioned or I thought about is this wouldn't happen. This would have to happen in the off season. I would imagine it wouldn't have to, but uh, I would I, I would do it in the off season. Um, what if? If the Warriors have a top three pick, what if you do D'Lo and their draft pick for Benson? Uh, I think they would consider. Oh, you would have to consider that if you were Golden State. I think you have to consider that if you were uh, Philly. I yeah, I, I mean, I that that would be extreme value, you know. Yeah, like no, yeah, you'd have to consider that. Um, but I mean, it depends on where that pick is exactly, but. I don't know. I, I still think that I, I don't think it's time to panic just yet. But the concerns for for Simmons are real because of again where the NBA is at this point in time and the lack of shooting and speed that this team possesses. And like we went through this before. Yeah. 
and we thought that it was changed. And look, I was somebody I ate, I ate very much a lot of crow, just like a month ago, saying, "Look, I was wrong. I thought he wouldn't work on his jump shot because he got a max contract, and he worked on his jump shot. And now he's hitting threes, and he's still not shooting. So maybe I should throw that crow up and continue to talk about the fact that." They gave this guy a math contract before he got a jump shot. Yeah, no, that's the. So I don't know. I, I don't ever want to talk about some guy what he's doing in Instagram workouts and Instagram runs and think that that means that he's a somehow a, a changed player. Like that's 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 it. Like we're Look, not man. Once he starts we're, we're not doing that anymore. Preseason games and I mean it was against you know the Guangdong Super Ducks or whoever it was against, but I mean. Yeah, yeah, we should we should have known we should have known we should have known after the hoodie metal fiasco that we're not doing that anymore with Instagram workouts meaning that oh this guy's gonna have a change season you know that that's done so yeah um, that's gonna be where we wrap the show this week guys so thank you guys so much for listening in. I hope you guys enjoyed of course you can catch all of our shows on the New Generation Podcast Network on SoundCloud iTunes Stitcher and TuneIn also be sure to check also be sure to check out uh, all of our uh, content on YouTube New Generation Media. Follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at New Generation Pod, on Instagram at New Generation Podcast, and on Facebook, New Generation Media. Find me on Twitter at EJ underscore Stewart and on Instagram at Action EJ. Thank you guys so much for listening. And then for Kendall, I'm EJ. Peace.